frame of reference doesn't provide us with all the answers. As we grow older and more experienced and have more experiences and get better educated, our frame of reference changes. You know, we're always looking through a little bit different window than what we started with. Some of our mysteries are solved, but every time a mystery is resolved, it leads to more wonder. I wondered about that, and now I wonder about something else. For instance, we all wonder at some point, where did everything come from? At first, it came from mom and dad, right? At first, plain and simple, they were the universe. You came from them and everything you needed came from them. But gradually, we discovered there's something bigger than mom and dad and the family at home. Perhaps uh, you went to Sunday school or some sort of a church school or heard something somewhere along the line and you learned about God and how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then you went to school and you found out there were other ideas out there about where did everything come from. I started this year, the first Sunday of January 2018, uh, with a series called I believe in God. And uh, I've said a few things like this. Uh, the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle believed that the universe has always existed. You know, never came into no beginning, no end. All the matter of the universe is just here. And to believe anything else, a person would have to admit that there's something greater than the universe and something outside the realm of scientists. So scientists like Albert Einstein just accepted the idea that the matter of the universe has simply always existed. The stuff just always has been here. But it caused other people to wonder, is that really the way things are? Uh, caused Christians to wonder uh, about where everything came from. And uh, if the universe had always just existed, uh, you know, would do away with God as a separating them increases by about 71 kilometers per second. That is, the farther you get away from us, stuff is moving away from us at an even faster speed. And most of the universe that we can see is already racing away from us at speeds beyond the speed of light. And the implication was that if there were movements, those movements were reversed. You said, how, where did it all come from? And it all came back together. It would come together at a single point something that was called a singularity or a beginning. 
And when this was discovered, it, it just sent the scientific world into a tailspin. Then on May the 20th, 1964, I was in high school at that time. Some of you didn't exist, but May the 20th, 1964, I was in high school. And American radio astronomers Robert Wilson and Arno Penzias discovered that the Earth was entirely bathed in a faint glow of radiation. They called it CMB, Cosmic Microwave Background Radiation. And its waves followed the exact pattern of a wavelength expected in a giant explosion. And scientists explained that the waves were the obvious aftermath of what? A big bang. That's right. And that, that was a, not a new theory. That was an older theory. But all of a sudden it became the explanation that was accepted throughout most of the scientific world. The big bang theory. The idea that the universe had a beginning created a whole new frame of reference, a whole new window to look through. Suddenly there was a brand new list of questions. Albert Einstein hated the Big Bang Theory, by the way, because it didn't fit his idea that the universe was eternal. Uh, and uh, by the way, he died before the fi that final discovery was made, but he knew about the Big Bang Theory and the universe moving away from itself. The late, great scientist and hater of all things God, by the way, Stephen Hawking, who died in February of this year, died trying to refute the idea that the universe had a beginning because it just throws everything out of kilter uh, for a lot of guys who don't want to believe there is a God. But regardless of what you want to believe with these discoveries, suddenly there was a new perspective, a new window to view the world, different things to wonder about, and a different perspective. And that's the way of science, by the way. That's the way of all things human. Things seem so certain, so absolute, until they don't. <laughs> until we find out, no, that's not the way it is at all. Now, at this point... You may be wondering, what all this have to do with Christmas? Give me a few more minutes, okay? Just be patient with me. I'm getting to it. But the point I'm trying to make with all that is this. Each of us has a frame of reference that helps us make sense out of life and helps us make decisions that make sense. You may not realize that you have a frame of reference, but you do. You have a window through which you view the world, and it helps you to determine what is right and wrong, what is just or unjust, what's fair and unfair, what's important, what is unimportant. And it is your frame of reference that helps you to determine what you believe, uh, how you should behave. You may not always do the right thing, but, but you know, it helps you to de determine what you believe and how you should behave and what you can hope for, what you should hope for. Most of us inherited our frame of reference. Most of us inherited the window that we view through life from our parents, right? And, and perhaps you, you, uh, you inherited a religious or kind of religious window through life. Maybe, maybe it was all about church and all about God, or maybe you just kind of went every once in a while and everybody sort of believed in God, but you didn't want to talk about too much about him because you didn't have a lot to do with your life. 
Or maybe uh, it was an academic or scientific kind of a background when everything was about the mind and books and what you can touch and what you can uh, feel. Or, or maybe it was moralistic. That was the window you looked through. Maybe it was just all about keeping the rules. You, know, you keep the rules, you'll be okay just because I said so. Or maybe it was opportunistic. You got to look out for number one. Or maybe it was about karma. Everything happens for a reason. Or about fate. Everything happens for no reason at all. But, but you, you grew up, you had some sort of a framework that your parents gave you. And, and whether it was specific or not, it formulated how you viewed life. Our parents or the people who raised us were our universe. And we believed what they had to say and we adopted their frame of reference. But then we went to school and we made new friends we began to realize that we were smarter than our parents, right? And, 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 and we may have begun to, we didn't throw it out, but we began to adapt it just a little bit, make it fit the life that we wanted to live. And, and then eventually, a lot of people abandoned the frame of reference they received from their parents when they were children. And the reason that a lot of people abandon their frame of reference is because life happens. And things just don't seem to line up with what they learned, especially about God and about how, you know, what God is like and what life is supposed to be like. And it's disturbing and it's confusing and it leads us to wondering about things, doesn't it? We wonder how are things supposed to be? And, and, and what, what does God have to do with all of this? And not only does it leave us wondering uh, about what's going to happen in our personal lives and personal behavior and our relationships with other people, but it also leaves us wandering. We're wandering, and then we are wandering around. As somebody said, like a dog off a leash. We have a dog in our neighborhood that sometimes gets off the leash and he gets in our backyard, does his business, and he's in the middle of the road. You know what I'm talking about, a dog off a leash just kind of goes wild. And generally when we wander, we do not wander in good directions. When we wander, we get wild with our wandering. Now for many of us, or for somebody we love, the wandering and wandering led us away from Christ and let us to at least minimize the influence of Christ in our lives. At best, Jesus became an afterthought uh, in our lives and in the window through which we view the world. Or perhaps we became part of that group of people in our world today and their window just says, I don't really need God. You know, that was fine when I was a kid, but I can get by without God on my own. Many turned away from Christ, not because of life, but just comes something they learned in school that seemed to destroy everything they had been taught when they were kids, or, or maybe they saw hypocrisy in their parents or Christians or churches or leaders or something of that nature. So here's the thought. As we move toward the celebration of Jesus's birth and uh, we'll just say that. I mean, Christmas is about a whole lot more than the birth of Jesus. But that's where it started, right? And that's supposed to be the focal point 
of it. So as we move toward the celebration of Jesus' birth, I want to make a case for keeping Jesus. I don't care about keeping Jesus in Christmas. That's not what this is about. It's about keeping Jesus in the frame, keeping Jesus in the way you view life, or uh, putting him in the frame because he's not there, or putting him back in because he used to be there, but he's not there anymore. You know, you can't really avoid Christmas. It just, it's going to run over you one way or another. It's the past Thanksgiving, we were at Jean's sister's house, and, and somehow I got left alone in the living room with my 90-year-old mother-in-law, almost 90-year-old mother-in-law, and my University of Alabama niece's boyfriend that she had brought home, California boyfriend that she had brought home, and so it was my 90-year-old mother-in-law and me and, and the boyfriend. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like to get old, but I think when you get old, you just kind of say whatever you feel like saying. And that's what my mother-in-law does. She just kind of says whatever she feels like saying. And what she felt like saying right there was, some people don't even believe in Christmas. And I'm thinking, I don't know what this guy believes right here. I don't know this guy here. So I I don't want to offend him. So my response was, oh, everybody likes him a little Christmas. And you know, that's true. Everybody just likes him a little Christmas. They may not believe in Christ. They may not, you know, they may not want to say Merry Christmas with you or anything of that nature, but everybody likes them a little Christmas. It's just a little bit too ubiquitous. It's everywhere you look. And it's just a little bit too much fun to totally reject Christmas. So I don't care how you approach Christmas. The good Protestants of Boston banned Christmas for a while in the 17th century because it was a little too much fun. Uh, and so they didn't want to have it around. So what I'm asking you What I'm asking you is not about Christmas so much as it is about putting Christ into your frame of reference, considering him once again. Uh, Maybe uh, he's around, but you don't really see things from his perspective. So I'm asking you to keep him there, put him there, return him there, whatever it might be. And if you're avoiding thinking about Christ or about spiritual things or religious things because, you know, you have to leave your mind at the door, your ability to think in order to consider him. If your assumption is that Christianity requires faith and that faith leaves behind all reason and experience, you just have to blow your mind in order to uh, believe in Christ, I want you to know this. First of all, the original version of Christianity, those people in the first century did not require anyone to sacrifice what they observed, what they knew, and what they experienced. You didn't have to give up any of that stuff. And the second thing is this, real faith is based on evidence. It's not based on stupidity and ignorance and turning your head the other way. Real faith is based on evidence. And isn't it just possible that you may be wrong about some things? In your life. After all, our frame of reference changes with the seasons of our life, right? You are not looking through the same window you looked through 20 years ago, or if you were around 40 years ago, or if you were around 60 years ago. Think about how our frame of reference changes. You know, there was a time when you were sure he was the one, or she was the one. Now you're trying to get out of it. There was a time 
when you just had to have it, that fancy car or house or whatever, and now you just can't wait to get rid of it. Here's what we know. We know that there are things that we don't know. And we know that what we know changes. Would you agree with that? We know, I, we know that there are things we don't know. And what we do know changes. In fact, this is the truth. Our frame of reference is limited. We can only see from a very limited perspective. And here's what Christians believe and what Christianity is all about and what I'm asking you to consider this Christmas. God loved the world so much that he sent someone to our side of the frame to be a point of reference. So we don't have to look through the frame. There is someone who's came and stands on this side of the frame so we can see God and know God, and that's what Christmas is all about. God sent someone to our side of the frame so that we can know God and know what he is like, know things that we cannot discover on our own, and that's the message of Christmas. And that leads me to the verses that I want, long introduction this morning, leads me to the verses that I want to talk about in the book of Hebrews for a few minutes this morning. Now, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament of our Bible uh, is in the form of a long sermon called a word of exhortation in the last chapter. The author of the book of Hebrews is unknown to us, but must have been well known to the people in the first century when this uh, sermon was written and distributed. Its title, which is actually to the Hebrews, Hebrews uh, became Israelites, became known as Jews. So to the Hebrews, to these people of Jewish heritage, its title and the internal evidence indicates that it was written to Jewish Christians. That is, Jews who had accepted the fact that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah and Savior of the world. The fact that they accept so many of them accepted Jesus in the first century is a testament that he really was who he said he was. Even his skeptical brothers, and he had four of them, even his skeptical brothers believed in him after he resurrected from the dead. When somebody dies and then comes back to life again, you kind of have to pay attention to what they say. These Jewish Christians were under persecution to give up their faith in Jesus and return to Judaism. That pressure came from their families, of course, and maybe even from the Romans. But they were ostracized from the local synagogue, you know, which was not only the religious place, but it was the social place. And they were ostracized from their families. They couldn't participate in the things their family disliked, not being able to go to your family for Christmas and Thanksgiving and all those kinds of things. There was no social uh, benefit for being a follower of Jesus, no business benefit, no political benefit to being a follower of Jesus. And yet these Jewish people believed in Jesus and followed him, but they were being drawn away. They were being encouraged to abandon their faith. And so we go to Hebrews chapter 4. And from Hebrews chapter 4 is the answer of uh, why they shouldn't walk away from the framework that was built around the fact that God sent someone to our side of the frame to be our point of reference so that we could know him. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest 
who has ascended into heaven. Now, uh, these Jewish people would have been very familiar with the Jewish system of priests, the one high priest who was the go-between between them and God, and animal sacrifices. Sent, and, and Jesus was the one who replaced all that. And so he was in a picture of the great high priest, the priest that replaced all other priests, who has ascended into heaven. The followers of Jesus testified that, that uh, at the end of his time on earth, they went out with him just outside the city of Jerusalem on a little hill called the Mount of Olives, and they saw him ascend, go back up into heaven. But these Jewish Christians were being assured that Jesus was greater than all that stuff from the past. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Uh, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We're talking about that, right? I've asked you to consider keeping Jesus in your framework or putting Jesus in your framework or returning Jesus to your framework. Uh, the main theme of this verse is why the Jewish Christians should hold firmly to the faith we profess. He said, since things are going so well for you, hold firmly. Is that, well, no, that's not what the verse says. Here's what the verse does not say. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, since we have everything we need and things are going so well, let's hang on to what we got. It doesn't say, since we have the answers to all the questions of the universe, every question asked by science and philosophy and so forth, let's hold on to the faith we profess. Since the glory of God just shines down on us and every day is a great day, let's hold fast to our profession of faith. Now, the reason is a, a person, since Jesus, the Son of God, since Jesus, the Son of God, came, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Since God sent Jesus to our side of the frame to be our go-between with him, to be God in human flesh, to pay the price of sin, since that, let's hang on because of Jesus. Let's, we're going to focus on Jesus and not anything else. And then if you took the time to read on through the book of, of Hebrews, the author would talk about the greatness of Jesus over everything else. We get to chapter 11. And the theme coming through chapter 11 is, comes to, the, uh, to faith. It's called the great faith chapter. And if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find a list of great heroes of faith from Jew, Jewish times and before. All these people that are listed in Hebrews 11 would have been known to the readers of this particular sermon. I'm not going list, to list them all, but two of them that you might know are Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who were listed as heroes of faith. And the entire chapter is based on the fact that these people uh, of faith were people of faith in spite of the fact that God had made a promise to Abraham and had not fulfilled that promise. Here's the promise that God made to Abraham, Genesis chapter 18 and verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. Now, Abraham didn't even have one child at this particular time. And the one child through whom the, the, the nation of Israel would come wasn't born until Abraham was about 100 years old. 
and he was old, by the way. It's just, just as surprising for a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to have a child then as it would be for us today. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations of, on earth will be blessed through him. So here's what God had promised. God had promised to do something in the world for the entire world. Through Abraham for the entire world. And Abraham died and these promises were not fulfilled and yet he kept believing that it was going to happen. And generations and generations and all these heroes of faith that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, they died and the promise was not fulfilled but they still believed that it was going to happen and we're going to get back to Hebrews chapter 11 in a week or so but for now we're going to move to chapter 12 that we'll also get back to but Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 therefore because all these people had this promise and they kept on believing therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses these people who died believing the promise even though the promise had not been fulfilled Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let me just stop there for a minute. The, the point is that the, the people like, that uh, Hebrews is written to, like us, we're on the fulfillment side of the window. The full, uh, Jesus had, uh, God had fulfilled his promise. Jesus was born and came to be the savior of the world. Uh, and, and so it should be easier for us to be faithful to the promise than it was for them. And because of that, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What is it that, that keeps you from being all you should be for God? What is it that keeps you from, from being everything that will count for eternity what is it that holds you back the sin that so easily entangles the, the sin that you ever get your shoelaces wrapped up or something like that or step on one of them and your feet are kind of tied together and you almost go down anyway hopefully you don't go down what is it holds you back for some who had a religious framework maybe grew up in church uh, and then decided that wasn't for them. For some, this refers to the sin that made you feel guilty. You were in this framework and you were doing stuff and you felt guilty because within your framework, it said, this is the bad thing to do. So you had a choice. I either get back in and say, I'm wrong. I got to get myself straightened out or I just get me a new frame of reference. I just get me a new window. I throw that window out and I get me a new way uh, to look at things. And I say, there is no God, or God doesn't care, or God's an impersonal God. And suddenly you felt better about yourself and freer to do anything you wanted to do, but you hadn't done anything different. But here's what I know about you. If you're in that situation, here's what I know. Uh, no matter how far you went, there was something inside of you that still gnawed and nagged at you. Something that was never right. Something that said to you, I'm not fulfilled. And then there's that phrase at the end of that verse, and let us run with perseverance the race 
marked out for us. Let us live the life God has planned for us. Let's do it with perseverance, without despair and without giving up. And that's made possible through a frame of reference that allows us to know God, who God is, know how we're to live. In spite of anything else that's going on in the world, when you have that frame of reference where Jesus is the focal point, uh, you'll see things from the right perspective. This frame of reference is not, not about a philosophy. It's not even about religion. It's about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And then we come to that next remarkable verse. Uh, the reason that we're looking at this passage really is, begins in verse 2. The writer says to this group of Jewish men and women, you're on the fulfillment side of God's promise to bless the entire world through Abraham. And that's Jesus who fulfilled the promise. God fulfilled his promise by sending his son into the world. But you're losing your focus. You're, you're letting yourself wander around worried about a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't even matter. I need you to refocus. Your refocus isn't on church. Isn't even on the Bible. But it's on the person of Jesus Christ. And so he begins verse 2 with those words. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's very possible that in your religious life, your religious experience, you grew up, you went to church, you read the Bible, and stuff like that. But you were focused on something other than Jesus. And if you're focused on something other than Jesus, eventually you're going to wander away. Eventually, you're going to go out and be like everybody else is. Jesus may have been involved, but you got focused on something else. Maybe your eyes were fixed on a pastor or a priest, and that's fine. You know, maybe, maybe he was a great guy or she was a great woman, so great, so funny, so relevant. Or maybe it was focused on church, you know, God's house, everything's great, just go to church and your life will be good. Or maybe it's focused on the Bible, uh, you know, that, you know, I believe Bible's God's word. I preach it every Sunday, teach it, you know, through the week and things of that nature. Uh, but maybe you got focused just on the Bible and not on Jesus. Or maybe it was, you got focused on experience. Uh, you said some words and you went through some kind of a ceremony and everybody said, now you're part of us, you're good, don't have to worry about anything, go on with your life. Or maybe uh, it was focused on circumstances. That is, if you'll pray enough, and if you'll be good, everything's going to be fine. The problem is that Christianity didn't really begin with any of that stuff. And if you focus on any of that, as good as some of those things may be, you might get disappointed. The pastor might run off with the church secretary, which would be okay in this case because we've been married for almost 47 years. But, uh, you know, in some cases it wouldn't be a good thing. The pastor or the priest might let you down. You might find out that there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. They put on a good show on Sunday, but they don't live it the rest of the week. You might go to college and some professor whacks something out of the Bible and you just give up on everything. You might... Pray and pray and pray and pray and pray that somebody lives or you get a job or this or that and it doesn't work out. 
the way you want it to work out. And that was where your focus was and not on Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews continues, fixing your eyes on Jesus, not on all those, that other stuff as good as it might be. Stuff is going to let you down. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. The pioneer, the originator of our faith. Christianity began with Jesus. Him alone, not, not any of that other stuff, just Jesus. The perfecter, the one who brings something to its successful conclusion. Our faith begins and ends with Jesus. Focus on him. And so he was drawing them back uh, to Jesus, whom he says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Uh, I've never seen an execution, have you? I don't think it's a very happy time. But uh, I've never even smelled a, well, I do. You know, when I was in junior high school, we had a slaughterhouse down the road from the school and we had no air conditioning. I can remember that smell a little bit, uh, what that was like. Again, can you imagine how terrible crucifixion was? People dying, bodies hanging, the stench, the smell, all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine it? I was watching a, a documentary uh, uh, this week about uh, uh, Hitler and, the, and World War II and how he decided to eliminate the Jewish population in certain countries. And they had filmed pictures of, uh, of soldiers, German soldiers lined up with their rifles and just shooting down innocent Jewish people and throwing them in an open grave as long as they could pull the trigger. And then they would go and the next crew would come in. You see stuff like that. That's what crucifixion uh, is like. And this says, who Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Not because of what was happening there, but because of the results of that. Scorning the shame of the cross, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, here's the point, verse 3. Consider him. Consider means take a close look at Jesus in all that he endured, a close look at his teachings and his claims, not what somebody told you about Jesus. Take a close look at Jesus yourself. Consider him, not your circumstances and not your experiences or all the other things that go, but consider Jesus who endured such opposition. He went through all this for you so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's the only thing that keeps us from quitting. It's not any of the other stuff. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. That's the way you will not grow weary or lose heart. I am inviting you this Christmas to keep Jesus in your frame, put Jesus in your frame, bring Jesus back into your frame, but consider him. If you or someone close to you has walked away from a frame of reference that included Jesus, it may have been because you or they just got focused on something other than Jesus. And if you get focused on something other than Jesus, you may walk away. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, was my, what is my faith fixed on? Uh, was it some person or some set of circumstances that disappointed me? So if you wander, and then you wandered away, think about this. Perhaps your eyes got fixed on the wrong thing or the wrong person. And 
My prayer is that as you wander, you'll wander back toward Jesus and back toward this place next week as we do part number two of Welcome to Wonderland. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus and life. Help us to focus on him alone. I know that my focus gets scattered a lot of times. I get to looking at things and what people think and trying to answer all the questions of life. When I do that, it doesn't make anything any better. Help me to focus on Jesus, the beginning and the end of faith. I love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.